0: Good to be here on a Wednesday night. It says when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be two in the midst. So how many are still feasting off of that word on Sunday? Amen. Yeah. Powerful. Powerful. You know, um, I want to say this without being critical, but I'm learning as I get older, sometimes I just don't care anymore. It's right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm just gonna say it. Don't care. (laughs) You know, I I I don't listen to a lot of preaching, um, but sometimes I just scroll through and boasting, but also being humble. Some of the stuff that this church receives, as far as revelation, it's not being preached from a lot of other pulpits. And i'm not saying that'm not saying that God isn't there it's just God gives you revelation when you 're ready to receive it that's that's that God will never get Pastor on me a, a message that you guys aren't ready to receive because he has to open up our minds and our spirits to receive it to preach it and so this church is at a at, at a unique spot where God is showing is uh, for lack of a better term, rewarding us for being hungry and longing after him. Amen. And he's saying, the more of me you want, the more of you going, me you're going to get. Yeah, right. And so I'm just glad that we are in a, in a place where the revelation is just continuing to flow yeah, praise the Lord. and stuff. Yeah. And so um, tonight we're going to study Apostle Paul a little bit. Um, we we kind of touched on him last week, and we're going to kind of continue in that same theme, but looking at it from a different point of view, if you will. And um, I want to title this Chronicles of God, Outer Garments. Chronicles of God, the Outer Garments. And as we, we talked about this last week, how Paul is mightily used by God. Mightily, mightily, mightily. But we in the Bible is really other than Paul really really testifying about himself to the Philippian church and the galatian church um, it's kind of silent on his upbringing yeah. you know we we know he was when they threw their clothes at his feet when when Stephen got stoned we we kind of get a little background, but there's a lot to Paul that his parents sent him to Jerusalem at about 14 to study under Gamaliel. Yeah. And, 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 he, and he says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrew. He, he wasn't joking. He, I mean, he was strict. Yeah. And he was strict to the law. And so when you have somebody that has that mindset from youth, and he feels that Christianity, even though it wasn't known as Christianity at the time, that Jesus' name, or as we're going to see in the Bible, they called it the way, It's a threat to his very existence. And so, but this is what I wanted to point out at the beginning of this. When you falsely follow religion, it leaves you empty. It leaves you empty so that you will never believe the truth. You will always be fighting the thing, you will always be fighting truth because you will be standing on man made principles that will fall against the test of time. And so Paul was holding true to everything. And, and if you really, in the Bible doesn't say it, but I believe Paul probably heard Jesus teach. I believe he probably heard him preach. You know, probably a younger man, but he probably heard those things. And we do know that Paul was part of the Sanhedrin. And so he could have been a voting member of the Sanhedrin or maybe a junior member, we don't know. But when they condemned Jesus to death, Paul might have been around yeah. or a close proximity to that. And we know he was there when the apostles were being thrown in the prison and all that stuff. We know he was part of the Sanhedrin. So Paul has a, he wasn't ignorant of Christ. Right. He wasn't like, oh, this is new, whatever. He was intrinsically uh, connected to Christianity. And so I'm saying all that to lay the groundwork is you just never know what God is working on somebody. You just never know. And so it's important for us to know that Paul was part of the Sanhedrin. And we could assume that he heard Jesus preach and teach. And he was probably, we know he was in agreement, whether he was part of the Sanhedrin or not, with the death sentence that was imposed yeah. upon Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they thought, okay, once we shut this guy up, this, this, this cult or this, 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 this thing that's so popular right now is going to stop. And realize that yeah. 12 men yeah. that have been with him for three and a half years are going to turn the world upside down. Right. And so it started spreading like wildfire. And so Paul is in the midst of all of this. And so let's turn to Acts 5, starting in verses 12. This is going to be a slow simmer to the end. Acts 5 and 12. It says, and this is after Ananias and, and, uh, and, and, and Sapphira had lied to the Holy Ghost and they, did, they, dropped, they dropped dead. And this is, uh, this is after that. And it says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And we see that this is kind of where the Christians kind of gathered. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. So they see all these signs and wonders happening. And yet the people are like, hey, those are, those are devout men. But nobody's joining them. And that's why when people get up here, we need signs and wonders. We need That doesn't do anything for people. It doesn't move people's soul. It's, it's, that, it's, that, it's that spectacular thing. You know, people will flock to see somebody from a wheelchair, but are you going to turn your heart to the Lord? And God knows that. You still, so you see all these signs and wonders being done to the point. It says, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Now some commentaries try to say, well, it doesn't say that his shadow was healing people. I'm pretty sure the Bible is, Luke is not going to write something that didn't happen. Peter's shadow, his very shadow, was healing people. OK. And so you have all these signs and wonders. Sister Linda, can you imagine your shadow walking past somebody and them getting out of a chair and walking? Yeah. For us, that's kind of hard to comprehend. And people are seeing this like 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 TV in real life and they still not join, join the church. Right. Come on now. <sighs> yeah. Think about that. He said, "Also, most who gathered together from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented of clean spirits, and they were all healed. They were all healed. Then the high priest rose up, which was the sect of the Sadducees. Remember that, the Sadducees. And they were filled with in indignation, laid hands on the apostles, and put them in prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And as I was studying this, the Lord just dropped this into my spirit, which means we cannot allow the world to imprison the word of God. By that I mean this, we better be prepared to stand up against this whole woke culture because we're, it's going to, I'm, I'm telling you, it could get to the point that we have news cameras outside those doors and they're going to be, taking pictures and putting you on the news as you go in there. Oh, everybody that goes to that church is about hate. And you got to be willing to stand up for the Word of God and say, you know what, if you want to say that's who I am, go ahead. But I know I'm standing on the Word of God. And God is telling us that when man tries to lock down the Word, these, when they put the apostles in prison, they're literally trying to lock up the Word. They're really trying to lock it down. But God is saying, I'm going to send a messenger, I'm going to send my angel, my Word Shall not be locked up by man. Yeah. Amen. It can't be locked up by man. And we better be prepared to pay a price of whatever it costs to stand on his word. Yep. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right. Yep. Last Thursday, I met Holy Family. We have a core leaders' meeting, we have it once a month. For the last hour of that meeting, we spent talking about how to make transgenders comfortable in the hospital. Yeah. And different things were brought up. And they're saying, because we had a situation where somebody was saying, identify as a full-grown man, looking like me and Pastor, saying, I identify as a man, as a woman. And they wanted to go into the women's locker room and change. And most of the women were like, no, th- this is not cool. Yeah. Those people are being castrated almost. For saying they don't want a man. In oh, well, you need to accept that. And finally, I'm so glad a bunch of us stood up and was like, what about my beliefs? What about how I feel? What about my 13-year-old daughter? And the, and the CEO, HR couldn't say nothing. It got to the point that the, the COO had to sit the, the HR partner down and be like, we need to take this for another day. Because we push back against that. You are not going to lock up and put in prison the word of God. We can't do that. Okay. I'm on my rant. But the angel of the Lord came and opened the prison doors and brought them out. and said, go to the temple and teach. And they got up and did that. And when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported. Verse 23, saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely. Listen. And the guards standing outside. But the doors... Before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Think about that. Prison locked in. Mm -hmm. uh, So my question is, when the angel took them, did he almost transpose them outside of the prison? Mm -hmm. Could happen. We see that in the Bible. See it with Philip. See it with Philip. That's not I mean we can say, well that only happened one time. We we don't know that. Because it said now it doesn't say now, it doesn't say that the guards fell asleep, that God caused a deep sleep. They said the doors were locked and the guards were standing outside, but somehow they got out. It was no back door, there was no no underground tunnel. How did the angel how did God do that? This is God trying to show you when man tries to shackle me. I will make a way for my word to still be professed amongst man. We better understand that. We have the almighty God on our side. We cannot be fearful what man. And sometimes the flesh gets afraid. Sometimes the flesh is like, oh, what about? You better be prepared to stand and even give your life for this word. All right. And so they said, hey, they're in the temple teaching. So they send the guards, and the priests heard them, and and uh, all that happens. Then they go grab them, and then we tell you not to teach this. And Peter and them said, "We ought to obey God rather than man." And they have this. They have this dialogue. Then Gamaliel, Paul's teacher, stands up. Now, it doesn't say it, but I believe Paul might have been in attendance to this because this is the Sanhedrin. So Paul is a, is a spectator of all that's going on. And Peter puts them on a carpet, and he pretty much says, this Jesus who you murdered is God exalted. Yeah. He said, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And he says, and we were all his witnesses to these things, New King James, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. King James says they were cut to the heart. Yeah. Then Gamaliel stands up and pretty much says, "Hey, if this is if this is a man, it's going to falter." Yeah. And he gives two examples, mm-hmm. but he said, "If this is of God, how can we fight this?" <laughs> now you have to think. Paul is gung ho. This is his mentor. Gamaliel was one of, this was like the, he was like the Harvard professor. You, 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 if you got accepted to be taught by him, you were in the Ivy League education. And his hero is now saying, if this is of God, which means Gamaliel is suspecting this might be, this Jesus guy, it might be something here. Think about Paul's faith and all is being shattered before his eyes. Hold on to that. He said, but if it of God, verse 39, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Then they agreed with him, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, so they got 39 stripes, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing and they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Alright, so we land down a A a foundation of what we're going to cover tonight. Let's go to Acts 6. All right, so they go, they get beat, but they're continuing to preach in the name of the Lord. Now, Acts 6, it says, Now in those days where the number of disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmur of the Grecian, Grecians or the, the Greeks against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration so basically you have the Greek speaking Jews and you have the Hebrew speaking or Aramaic Arama- speaking Jews and so there comes a little dispute and they feeling like hey you know we already at a disadvantage because you guys feel like we feel like we're outcasts these, these are the Greek speaking Jews and like now our widows aren't being taken care of then the twelve summoned a multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It is not. So this is what I want to talk about a little bit. If you are ever underneath a pastor or mentor, minister that does not breathe, eat, just consume the word of God, you need to leave. You need to leave. Serious. You need to leave. Sister Nicholas, you need to leave. That The word of God should be something that a preacher, that a minister is trying to eat and live. That, means, that doesn't mean they're perfect. We all make mistakes. But that is your call. You're called by God to speak his word. You can't speak his word unless you know his word. All right. Shaking the shoulders a little bit. And then they said, we can't leave the word and serve tables. Therefore, brothers, seek out among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who you may appoint over this business. But we will continually give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying, please, the multitude. They're like, now, you notice how there could be disagreements. But when you have the anointing which binds people together, you find a way to make it work. You see how that's happening here? Now, there's more to come. And it pleased everybody. So they chose Stephen and six other men men to be pretty much, they became deacons. They became deacons, whom they set before the apostles. The apostles laid hands on them, confirmed their office, and they laid hands on them. Listen to this. After they came into agreement, after they elected deacons to take care of the widow's needs, then the word of the God spread, or the word of God increased. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. When you have the unity in the spirit, even the religious walls that the enemy has put up, they fall down. Now you have, they're not talking about the high priest. They're talking about the lower level priest and everything. But you have them starting to recognize that name of Jesus. Why? Because there was unity. Because they didn't neglect the poor. But they said, we're going to elect some men that have a good spirit, that are filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to anoint them as deacons. And because there was unity, the word of the Lord went forth. What does that mean? It means, Sister Nichols, we can't win this city without you. Yeah, right. Sister Linda, we can't win this city without you. We got to be in unity. We got to be in agreement. God said, my word won't turn it to me void. That means when we're hearing that word, that means God is stirring something up in us. And that means when we leave out of this church from hearing the word, we're taking that message to the world. Yeah, great God. Great God. Revival comes. Yeah. There's no great sermon. There's no because of the times. There's no landmark. There's no big old revival service. But because there was unity in the spirit. Think about that. God starts to tear down religious walls. What would happen? What would happen? Because UPC is all about get them to our church. Get them to our church. What would happens if God just, they have a, A a, a pastor's or a preacher's summit in Spokane and pastor preach, and you got 30 some pastors in the city receive the Holy Ghost and start speaking in tongues. Do they need to come to our church then? Your pastor's got the word now. Go follow them. You follow, see, we think, oh, it has to happen this way. And God is like, "Uh, uh, I think I'm a little bit bigger than this building. I I, I think the last time I checked, uh, that's earth on on my, oh, that's earth right there. Because for the earth, it's my footstool. You know what I'm saying? My toes smell like earth for today, not like Mars. You see what I'm saying? Because when we think we got everything figured out, God is like, just have faith, have unity, and I'm going to do the rest. Okay. We getting there. Okay. Okay. So Stephen, Stephen, my man. Was full of faith. Now some, some translations say full of grace. Full of faith, or we'll go with what the King James and in the, in the, in the, in the New King James saying, Full of faith and power. Did great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen is not a preacher. If you want to give him a title, he's a deacon. He's a deacon. He's not a preacher. But look what God is doing through him. Yeah. Hold on to that. Then there arose people from the synagogue of the freedmen, the Syrians, and the Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia in Asia. Sicilia is Paul's hometown. Disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him, seized them, and brought them to the Sanhedrin. And they set false witnesses. The Sanhedrin, which is Paul is there, setting up false witnesses against Stephen. Think how corrupt they are. They're setting up false witnesses against Stephen. This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, this holy place in the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Means he's going to destroy the law. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He said, I come to fulfill it. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I come to fulfill the law. I ain't come to destroy it. Moses is my guy. You don't forget, man, me and Moses are tight. I allowed Moses to say in just a, a nonchalant way, hey, he's going to raise up a prophet like me. Moses didn't say, oh, my God, God, he's going to raise. He said, "Yeah, hey, he's going to raise the problem. Uh, so so he, he knows Moses. Yeah. All right? When Moses died, he took his body. Yeah. Okay? So, and all who sat on the council, Paul included, looked steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Literally, they're saying his was, face was literally glowing like Moses' face was glowing. After he came into connection. Now, this is very, very intriguing to me because the Sadducees did not believe in angels. And they're the ones that ruled the high priest and were key components of the Sanhedrin. It's amazing to me that the things that you think you don't believe against the word, God will manifest them to make you look stupid. And these guys do not believe in angels. And they're saying he has the face. His face is literally shining. He has a heavenly glow. Think about that. Think about that. All right. So my man Stephen is getting ready to preach one of the greatest sermons. Let's go to Acts 7. And so he breaks it down. He goes back to the history of Abraham, everything. He breaks it down. And uh, he talks about Moses. He talks about Abraham. He talks about the prophets. He talks about everything. Then he says, let's go down to verse number 51. Because the first 50 verses, he's just breaking it down. He's preaching. But he ends his sermon with this. You stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them with shoe, with shoe before of the coming of the just one, on whom you have been now the betrayers and the murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels have not kept it. Lily's saying the angels handed you this law, yeah. and you're not even keeping it. Right. When they heard these things, they were cut to their heart, and they gashed, him at, they gashed at him with their teeth. Just, I mean, just angry. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Gazed. We like to look at that. And that Greek word it really means I'm sorry, not gaze. saw the glory, that glory talks about splendor. But the, you know what the root word of that word means? Opinion. And so can we literally say that being full of the Holy Ghost, he gazed into heaven and saw the opinion of God. What was the opinion of God? Jesus Christ standing right next to him with all power. What that means is he is God is Sean, Sean Stephen. You are believing what I want you to believe. Jesus Christ is all power in heaven. That is his opinion. God, God is telling him, this is my opinion, Stephen, that Jesus is all. Jesus is all. This is what Stephen is saying. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Think about that. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What does that mean? All power. All power. He's not three. He's not two. He's all power. This Jesus that you guys crucified, he's got all power right now. That's why they're gnashing at their teeth so much, And they crowd out with a loud voice. And they going like this. Listen, they stopped their ears and ran to him. They ran to him with one accord. And they took him out of the city. And they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is one of those closing his eyes. ah, no, punishment by death. Think about that. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so we have this, Paul, this is before Paul was converted. But we can see that Paul is seeing so many episodes of this Jesus guy. He might have heard him preach, he might have heard him teach, but he's seeing the remnants of faith in Jesus. Where these guys are getting beat, but they're still crying out his name. We're seeing the signs and wonders that these guys are doing, and we're threatening them. And they're still, they're still, they're not paying attention to us. All these things. Now we got, it's one thing for these guys, that, the ones that have been with him. We get that. But here we got some knucklehead named Stephen that comes out of nowhere. He comes out of nowhere. I say this very cautiously. But I say it. Stephen was an unknown that had a miraculous revival. I'm trying to tell you what has happened in our organization is that we have labeled certain preachers as revival makers and what we teach our people is that unless this person preaches we cannot have revival and the bible disputes that and i pray our organization leaders understand that because you have an unknown that's not even called to preach but this guy sitting up there leading a revival doing signs and wonders as a no name I'm trying to tell you the reason why BOTT and all these other conferences aren't as successful because they got these people that don't have no connection with God anymore or they're too big and they need to get an unknown somebody that's just full of the Holy Ghost to come in and tear that house down. Right. Amen. Come on. Stephen, yep. unknown. unknown. It's unknown. he's yep. unknown. And this guy's leading Revival. And he witnesses to the Sanhedrin. And they kill him. They kill him. They kill him. And they, the people that were stoning him, they throw their clothes at the feet of Saul. And Saul witnesses this. And that fire and that contempt for the church is just growing. Just growing in Paul and Saul. Just growing. And so we go to Acts 8, verse 1. Now Paul was consenting to his death. Pretty much Paul agreed with it. He agreed with it. See, chapter 7 just ain't stopped at the end of that verse. It it continues on. Sometimes the chapters get people confused, think it's a whole new thing. So Paul agreed. And at that time, a great persecution against the church was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered. And two a devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. He made havoc, literally te- trying to tear it apart, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Think about that, Sister Nichols. Paul or Saul coming into your house, you believe in Christ? Yeah, taking you off the jail. And with, with fire and contempt. Uh, he wasn't just like, Sister Linda, do you believe in Christ? Yeah, okay, come with me. I'm, it, this was violence. Grabbing people by the hair, grabbing people, dragging them on. I'm, it, they weren't being nice about it. They're throwing them. Because these people, a lot of, a lot of these people that are being thrown in prison end up dying. The, the, God is allowing this persecution to happen by the hands of Saul. Hands dripping with blood, dripping with blood to drag men and pr- men and women off to prison. Paul enjoyed seeing Stephen die he enjoyed it, he enjoyed it, and so we have this here as we come we we're we bringing up the tail end of this lesson tonight. We have this. Foundation, and we understand that Paul watched Stephen die. So let's turn to Second Timothy four. Let's go to verse six. This is, Paul's in prison. He's in a dungeon. We talked about this last week. This is the, the last letter that he wrote before his death. Verse 6 says, For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's later for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearance. Verse 10, verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly. Verse 10, for demons has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he goes on. Verse 13, bring the cloak that are left with carpets at tro- 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 Trois when you come. In the books, especially the parchments. I'm telling Timothy to bring all this because these are the last things that I need because I know my demise is near. Yeah. May I propose to you that Stephen's death had such a remarkable impact? on Apostle Paul that some almost 30 years later when he is about to die a cloak that was thrown to the ground when Stephen died Paul kept that as a memorial. And what he and he's telling Timothy bring that with you. Wow. Now this isn't sacrilege because he's not worshiping this cloak. But I'm here to tell you that Paul realized the monster that he used to be. And because he had a God that bestowed grace upon him, he held on to that cloak as a reminder. Of the man he used to be, not for condemnation, but to glorify God for turning him from a monster into the greatest apostle that this world has ever known. Don't you tell me that somebody's past defines their future. You have a murderer with blood dripping from his hands but he took that cloak and he held on to it and he's saying on my last dying days I want to have something that makes me remember how I used to be and how this great God with this great salvation that has bestowed upon me what he has turned me into I might be in a prison, I might be can't eat, I might be in all this world of hurt but I remember that God has saved me and I'm ready to receive my crown now the other part of that is when he tells us in a few verses he says I fought the good fight I've kept the face finally there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that word crown what is it translated to in the Greek Stephenus so what he is saying, Stephen's meaning literally means crown. So what Paul is saying is that I want the crown that I somehow saw Stephen get when he gazed up in heaven. I'm getting that crown. That's what Paul is saying. That crown that's laid up, that crown that Stephen got, I'm getting the same thing. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Do you understand what great salvation we have? And he says, bring the Books and the parchments, especially parchments, the Old Testament. He's saying, on my last dying days, I want that cloak that reminds me of the monster I used to be, but by God's grace. He said, I'm chief among sinners. I'm re- I want to remember how I used to be and the great grace that God has bestowed upon me. And I just want word. I want fellowship, I want a remembrance of who I used to be, and I just want word. Think about that. Think about that. I just want word. On my deathbed, I just want word. I just want word. Think about that. Paul is sitting up here showing us an example. And we have the greatest apostle. The greatest apostle. And how an unknown's death had such a life changing effect. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't any of the other preachers. It was an unknown that had So let me tell you something. The reason why some of these cities, they have some of And I'm not talking about the ministry in a bad way. But some of these guys coming on their chariots and they think, oh, I've done this great thing. But it's an old lady sitting in the back of that church that has done nothing but fasting and prayed for that city for years and years. And God in the spirit is responding to that. And these guys get to behind the pulpits. Oh, you gotta have brothers so and so come if you want to have a move of God. You better get a sister Linda. You better get a sister Sandy. That's been praying. That's been praying for the city. Those are the ones you need if you want to have revival. Y'all yeah, need a Stephen. I need to remember a Stephen. I gotta have all the Peters, all the Jameses, all the ones that I saw. But there was one unknown man named Stephen that impacted me so much. I wanted his cloak with me as I faced death. And this is the greatest apostle yeah. used by God. I just want word. And Timothy, bring that cloak. Bring it. Bring that cloak. Whew. The unknowns. The outer garment. That Paul had saved. This is my opinion. That Paul had saved. For years. You want to know I say, I come to the conclusion that it was a a garment. The word means out of garment. That's all it means. Paul was a tent maker. Paul had been around for a long time. I don't think, Sister Linda, he's like, can you just bring me a coat? Any coat. That cloak means business. That meant it had sentimental value to him. It meant, oh, I'm thinking about all Let me tell you something. How many of us sometimes when you're by yourself and you think about how you used to be, how me and you backslid, and we getting drunk and chasing girls and doing all these things under the sun, and we knew what was right and wrong, raised underneath a pew, and God could have struck us down. How many times do we avoid death? I'm going to parties, bullets flying over my head. Could have been killed on a humble. I don't know. I'm out there backsliding other people in my church that I grew up with. One guy goes out and doing the same thing I'm doing. Sister Linda, he's standing in a phone booth and gets gunned down. That could have been me. I think about all the hurt I caused God, doing this, doing that, going to the club. But I got to go to church, living this sacrilegious life where I go to the church and pray and then go to the club and try to get my drink on, all this stuff, living all this stuff. I remember that guy. I remember that brother done. And, oh, sometimes you just get tears. Like I remember how I used to be. But I'm not that man anymore. And Paul's sitting up there in this prison cell. All he wants is word and that cloak. I just want to wrap up against it because I remember when it was laying on the ground. When they were screaming, sque- he was screaming with a loud voice. And, but notice he said, when the guys had forsaken me and they forsaken me and left me alone, he said, lay this not to that charge. Yeah. The same thing Stephen said. Yeah. You don't tell me that Stephen did not have an impact yeah, on Apostle Paul's Great. life. Oh, an unknown. Yeah. An unknown. Yeah. An unknown. No, known. He didn't call for the great bishops of Jerusalem. Right. Stephen impacted his life. And it's the only time we hear about Stephen. Yeah. A little, a couple of verses in, in, in 6 and 7. It's yeah. the only time we hear about it. Yeah. But think about the impact that Stephen had on Apostle Paul's life. I, I When Pastor was preaching... Sunday, and he was talking about how we separate the ministry from people. And 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 I and as I was reading this, I started thinking about some things. And, and and what I want to say it it was I know different types of tongues, and I also know a battle tone. When you're like battling in the spirit. And last night, my wife was upstairs. Poor, poor Rocket. He's not used to people speaking. Band is like, I'm going to bed. I'm used to this. Poor Rocket. He's like, his ears go out. He's like, well, I'm, I'm getting up out of here. And just a powerful, just a powerful anointed tone just came upon me. You know what God dropped in my spirit? He said, this organization, me and him are part of UPCI. This organization has relegated my strength and my power to a few known names. That's what he said. That's what he told me. And it got to the point my fists were balled up ready to fight that. Ready to fight that. Because God is showing us too many times that these, like we talked about last week, these unknown people having an impact on the Apostle Paul like that. Stephen, we talk about his death and all that stuff, but the impact that he had on Apostle Paul. All the times he's shipwrecked. All the times he's getting beat, thrown in jail. Perilous times. All these things in in the hands of my countrymen. All these things. And Paul had that cloak. Reminding him, I'm doing this for a reason. And that reason is Jesus Christ. And he's saying, that same crown that Stephen got, I'm getting the same thing. What he's saying? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So as I bring this to a close, I want all of us to understand that when we get to the point that we think revival is going to happen by a name on the church or the name of a preacher on a program, we are sadly underestimating. And I'm going to tell you this. We're not in the will of God because God is showing us I'm using unknowns to make this thing happen. I'm using unknowns. People that aren't in the The limelight pastor, people that don't have the name attached to it and all that stuff. I'm using those to bring revival. So we better understand your prayers mean something to him. Your prayers mean something to him. And when you start to take off those shackles that man and religion and organizations have that is trying to put you in prison, you need to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I stand on your word. And God is going to break those prisons open and the other religious people will be scratching their head. What's what's going on? While we having revival. You see, we like to put revival in numbers. When we have a general conference, oh, we went out to the cities and we had... 800 get, the ho- get, get, get get baptized and 600, 600 of them got the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Well, if you go back to that city a year later, how many of those people living for God? Yeah. Yeah. How many of them are living for God? But we like to throw those numbers because we think, oh, it's going to be a great revival. You know what I think? I think there's going to be, I know it's, God promised it, it's going to be a great revival of people coming. Yeah. But there's also going to be preachers. Yeah. You have some preachers out here, they don't have the truth, but they love God with all their heart, mind, and soul. And it's going to take a man of God to just minister. Or God does it himself and brings revelation to them. And can you imagine somebody, Nehemiah Baptist Church down the street, a pastor coming to the pulpit on Sunday morning with tears in his eyes, saying, I got a word from the Lord. Isn't that how Azusa Street happened? people getting revelation i got a word from the lord and i'm baptized i call i call this pastor that i know pastor greg glover and he came over last night he baptized me in jesus name and he starts to preach acts 238 and the holy ghost falls like the day of pentecost and now they're like pastor pastor glover Brother Dunn, can y'all, can y'all come and teach us this apostolic doctrine? Now, we come back, hey, how many of y'all running? Ah, we're being humble. You're running about 25. Not knowing what God is doing throughout the city. Throughout the city. You see, we get so caught up on man-made success yeah. that we fail to realize that this man named Stephen mm-hmm. has such an indelible effect on Apostle Paul's life that he echoes the same thing that Stephen said before he died. He says the same thing. Lay this not to their charge. Yeah, think about that. Yeah. And you don't think Stephen had an impact on Paul? You know and we might say, oh yeah, Peter, yeah, this guy was given the keys. He, he had impact. Uh-uh. People like Epaphroditus and people like Stephen and Brother O. I can't say his <laughs> name. Oh, yeah, those yeah. guys making up uh, making a straight mm. mark, an indelible mark in Apostle Paul's life. Wow. So I close with this. I close with this. Don't be afraid to be an unknown. Amen. Don't be afraid to be an unknown. Right. Don't be afraid to be somebody's outer garment. Right. Because you being somebody's outer garment can be, co- it means covering. You can be the covering over somebody that makes them see eternity. You better understand being an unknown is a powerful anointed office that's not talked about a lot. But God knows. And he's the only one that we need to worry about. Uh, that, that, that You know, sometimes you get songs stuck in your spirit and you just keep singing them over and over. Waymaker, it's just even when you don't see that he's working, he never stops. He never stops working. He never stops working. I feel the Holy Ghost. Paul was a, was a, was a, was a a mighty used by God. We all know that. But, as we started to point out over the last few Bible studies, even he needed encouragement. Even he needed help. Even he needed somebody to stand by him. Even he needed somebody to bring him his, his word. My, I've, I've said this before, a um, pastor of my home church, Bishop Woodrow Roach, um, got diabetes, had one leg amputated below the knee. And a couple of years later had both of them amputated. And um, his son, his son and I have become close over the years. The home church, I usually preach there when I go home. He tells me that I called him to the hospital and um, he's crying Like, my dad's dad's dying. And um, his dad said, don't weep for me. I'm going home. going home. He said, take the church and go in his name. And he said his dad folded his hands like this, Sister Linda, and sang hymns until he took his last breath. That's how I want to go out. Hymns and words, hymns and words. Because when you know I fought a good fight, that crown that Stephen got, I'm about to get mine. Also, I can lay it at his feet. That's peace. That's peace. That's peace. Unknown. Don't be afraid to be an unknown. Sometimes I know. Sometimes me and Pastor might look at some people like, "Give me that mic." I would. And sometimes you get frustrated. But it's like, eh, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I don't mind being an unknown. I don't mind being an unknown. Because God uses unknowns to steady the ship. And God uses unknowns to impact people's lives. Be that that garment. Be that outer garment on somebody's life. That they will be covered. And that you will be kind of like a force field around them. Until they get themselves right with God. Think about that. I'm shutting up. I'm shutting up. I'm shutting up. I know there's only two people here, but I want to say this God never intended for it to be a gap between the church body in the ministry. Never did. Man has done that. Man has made it so when you go to some conferences, they have red ropes up for the ministry, separated from everybody else. Man has done that. God said, him that is chiefest among you, you need to be a what? A servant. How can you serve people when you're separated from them? That's why I say, I, 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 I um, um, instead of being angry, I'm praying for our leadership and our organization because they have allowed that spirit to manifest. And what has happened? It has corrupted young ministers, where they're not about preaching the word anymore. It's about I gotta be known by so and so. I gotta I gotta give honor to so and so, so I can be invited to preach, so I can get my name out there. That's that. That is what they have created the monster. And you don't have men that are going to churches and just crying and weeping and saying, God, save my city, save my city. You got men crying and weeping and saying, God, let my name get out there so I can be known. That message that was preached on Sunday, it should have been preached at these conferences. You sitting up there coming to these conferences saying, oh, it's going to be a revival in the land. And you separated yourself from the body. And you call yourself a minister of God. You're a servant. you called by God to speak his word in a servanthood way. Pastor and I are your servants in the gospel. And they separated it and threw a golf. That's why people have no power in their homes. If there's sickness in their home, they I got to call pastor, I got to call brother so-and-so, instead of laying your hands on your child yourself and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, you have the same anointing I have. Because we're all intertwined together. I'm shutting up. Please know that there are no, there are no nobodies in God's body. But we're all somebody in him. And we got to do it Together. I cannot. I don't I don't go to Deaconess. I don't go to multi care. I don't I don't go there. But you're there. You're there. Sister Linda, I wasn't there with you with your sister when you witnessed to somebody at the gas station. But you were. I don't I go to Sacred Heart every day. A pastor shows up, people get healed. I can't we can't do it alone. But together we can. So let's just kind of be connect point. The unknown servants of God and let's let God finish the, finish the rest of that story let's let God finish the rest of that story not in competition, but let's let God finish the rest of that story God we love you we praise you we thank you for this t- opportunity tonight to be.